this good news. Lord, we praise you for this good news, Lord. That death will not have the final word. That the God of this world will be put will be put in chains and will be bound. And that death and destruction will not be the final word. We thank you, Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength this morning. We pray, God, that you would infuse us with your joy and remind us of, of the blessed hope that we have in Jesus that only comes from you. There's freedom and joy in your presence, Lord. Amen. 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 When I was an atheist, I would I sat in a church one time and I saw this nice little like worship service. It was like stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Everything was so clean and so nice and so professional sounding, so sanitary. And I remember thinking to myself, if there is a God, this isn't the worship that he's into. Our God is wild. So I'm thankful for I, I, I said to myself, the, the worship that, that I think the Lord desires from us is would be led more like somebody like Joe Cocker rather than like Barry Manilow, which is the normal kind of way of worship. So I'm thankful for your guys' Joe Cocker kind of worship. <clears throat> that worship can do this. One thing that I know when, when I ask Paul and Annie to lead worship, I know that they're going to have an ear bent towards heaven. And they're going to have a curiosity and a, and a desire to explore anything that, where the Lord wants to go. And he said to me this morning, she wanted to change up one of the songs because she woke up at 115, is that right? 119, sorry. Way off. My name is Luke, and um, I'm a worship pastor here at Broadway Christian. If you don't, if you if you're not familiar with me, um, I'm glad to be here this morning. Thank you, guys. Uh, so many friendly faces this morning. I know that you guys have been praying for me for a while, and, and uh, I want to to thank all of you. I've I've been knowing that I was going to teach on this topic for like three months. And so I, I'm, I'm sure that I've been annoying a lot of you with conversations about play, recreation, and laughter. Um, hopefully you've been enjoying those conversations as much as I've been. And so I've been like gathering information about play, recreation, and laughter for, for a while. And so trying to get that down into something that is cohesive and uh, will only last till 6 p.m. tonight. Um, was difficult. He's with me, all right. The rest of you guys can peace out whenever you're ready. So we've been talking about for the last several weeks um, about how Broadway Christian Church, how we, how God has made us, um, that there are four key characteristics of, of our church, and one of those characteristics is, um, is that we are a healing community. And just being, just being in the city for a year, I know that that is the legacy of, of Broadway Christian Church. I see it. Oh, I was in a bad way and I was at Broadway. And the Lord healed me. And, and then now I'm doing this other thing. I'm a part of this other ministry. I'm leading in this kind of way. Well, the folks 
you guys who are here how have testimonies of how the Lord has healed you since you've been here. And I know that that's my testimony. I shared that with you guys a few weeks back, that the Lord has already used you in my life to bring healing where there have been deep wounds in the church. And for the last couple weeks, we've been talking about different practices of a healing community. And so these are the things that, that maybe we're already doing to some extent, and um, so just putting a name to them and, and um, possibly describing how the, how the Lord is, has intentions in that and how He wants to um, enhance that so that we would do it on, on purpose. So this one I'm talking about play, recreation, and laughter, their role in our healing, the glory of God, and pointing toward heaven. Play, recreation, and laughter should be enjoyed with thanksgiving to God because they contribute to our healing. They bring glory to God, our Redeemer, and our signposts to heaven. I heard a, a message from Pastor John Piper one time talking about how to give the Bible functional authority in your life. The Bible, God's Word, is the authority. But how do we give the Bible functional authority over our lives? And, and what we say in particular. He said, you, you start with the Word of God. And then you have an idea of what you believe the, the Word of God is saying. And you kind of put that in your word, in your own words as, as a, a principle to gather from Scripture. And then you get to do the fun work before you tweak that, before you put that out into the world. You get the fun task of filtering that thought that you think that that Scripture is saying through the rest of Scripture. And you think about all the scriptures that confirm the way that you've interpreted that text. And then maybe even more importantly, you think of the ways and the scriptures that seem to contradict what you're going to say. And if those scriptures only seem to contradict what you're going to say, well then you include those things into your argument and you show how they, don't, they actually don't contradict what you're going to say. Um, but if they do, if there is a scripture that contradicts what you were going to say, then at that point, it's time for repentance and to let go of that way of thinking and turn away from that and follow God's word as the authority. So when it comes to play and recreation and laughter, maybe what are some of the questions that we think of as the arguments against? Here, here are some of the, this is the way that I think. So if you don't think this way, Sorry, I'm going to introduce a world of problems to you. So is play, recreation, and laughter just goofing off? Is it an insult to Christians in more dire circumstances? It's illegal to be a Christian in many places in the world, and the punishment is death or imprisonment. How can we play when our family in Christ is being beaten? Is that irresponsible? Is it a waste of time? Is play, recreation, and laughter disobedient to God's clear command to make disciples? Does God forbid this stuff? How do we know when we've taken it too far? Is America already distracted and lazy enough to add these things into it? Are we just somehow justifying what we want to do? Should we commit time in our lives to things that are not commanded in Scripture? 
Many of our sins already are sins of omission or things that the Word of God is telling us clearly to do, but we choose not to do. Well, this morning I, I hope to answer most, if not all, of those questions, and, and I'm sure there's going to be more questions that you think of, and I hope that this is the beginning of a dialogue that we can continue to have. But recreation and play and laughter can certainly be inappropriate and certainly can be abused. Well, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some baby in there. If someone's involved in, in recreation and playing and laughing all the time, they're probably a fool and they're wasting their life. We have serious work to do, and the Bible says that if we do not work, we do not eat, which is kind of important to eat, right? Anybody? Eating? Okay, eating. I'm not But these things can be a part of our serious work in their time and their place. And they, they can extend our ability to work in hard places and cause us to be effective witnesses of the goodness of God. When our recreation, play, and laughter are redeemed, they fit in their proper place of discipleship. Point to the one who has freed us up from the kingdom of death and despair and depression and darkness. The king who has brought us into abundant life and liberty. These are good gifts provided by our good king. That scripture that was read this morning is where we're going. It's where we're going. That's the joy. These things, death and destruction and despair, depression, darkness, they have an end. Amen. But we serve the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, and he has no end. Right? So there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Let's talk about recreation. I'm just going to kind of break it down. Recreation, play, and laughter like that. Oxford's definition of recreation is just activity done for enjoyment when one is not working. But I don't think that's the way most of us think of recreation. Most of us think of recreation as things that we do outside, enjoying God's creation, things like hiking and backpacking and biking and Running, walking, swimming, canoeing, climbing, camping, ice skating. There she is. That was for you, Ted. Rafting. Maybe even some passive things like bird watching or astronomy. Maybe your definition of recreation includes sports. What about fishing and hunting and gardening? Why doesn't the Bible say more about this? Well, maybe that's because. Some of these things weren't invented yet. And maybe that's because this is just like the stuff of life. Right? If you wanted to eat, which we already got an amen on, if you wanted to eat, then you, you hunted, you fished, you gathered, you gardened. If you wanted to travel, you walked, you climbed mountains, you navigated treacherous terrain and waters. 
If your life doesn't allow you now, since we have we're several steps removed from uh, you know, food production, a lot of us, our lives can sometimes allow us to maybe never even go outside and never move our bodies. And if we do that, do you think you're going to be a healthy person? Never. Certainly not. We have we have some doctors and some PAs and some nurses up in the crowd, right? Can I get an amen? That's not a good way. A sedentary life, not not ever going outside and receiving the sunshine, right? Psalm nineteen one says that the heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the work of His hands. If you're finding it difficult to hear God and see His majesty, behold His wonders. Maybe you should pick up some Montana brochures. Get out in creation. And listen, behold the handiwork of the maker. You'll see his fingerprints everywhere. Obviously, this can go too far, or not far enough, if our enjoyment and thanksgiving does not include God, the maker. Romans chapter 1, verse 23-25 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Paul is saying, if we look at creation, we are without excuse. We, that should be enough for us to go, I know that there's a God and I can tell you some things about Him, His invisible qualities, because of what I see in creation. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. One of my pet peeves is how people, I think it maybe started in Hollywood, people started exchanging where you would normally say, God. People started saying in the universe. Do you guys notice that? People would be like, thanks, universe. You know, like something bad happened. Thanks, universe. As if the creation has some intention, some kind of providence and design of its own. It's a subtle way of taking God out of the equation and giving his attributes and purposes to some amorphous entity. We should get out and see the wonders in creation. And when you stand in awe, let that wonder roll up into praise of God. Let that, let that wonder roll up into hallelujah to the one who's wonderful and makes all things well. When it comes to making disciples, so is recreation a distraction from discipleship is one of the questions that I, that I posed before. When it comes to making disciples, we can follow the example of Jesus, who seeing the multitudes went for a hike went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are they. Right? And when, it, when he found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered, had been beheaded, 
Jesus went for a solo boat ride. And he walked, Jesus, Jesus walked for miles and miles with his friends. I imagine there was some goofing off in there. Have you ever been on a road trip with people? Mike and Denise Chevron, they make disciples in distant lands through teaching, playing, and coaching sports. There's an early American entrepreneur named John Wanamaker, and he said this about recreation, and this will be the end of this section. He said, he, he invented the price tag. It's kind of an interesting guy, anyways. Um, he said, people who cannot find time for recreation are obliged sooner or later to find time for illness. Listen to that again. People who cannot find time for recreation are obliged sooner or later to find time for illness. There you go. There's a little, there's a little nugget for calling and work. Um, this, this stuff is a part of Sabbath, by the way. And so when we think, is Sabbath a waste of time? Take them off. Um, these, these activities, recreation, play, and laughter, are a way that we Sabbath. Let's move to play. In regards to play, C.S. Lewis says, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. I love this, C.S. Lewis, the way he thinks, I love it. He says, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Everything is a matter of serious concern. Pay attention. Even play. It's claimed by God, and then Satan goes, No, that's me. I did that. No, sir. The word play, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary, means to play as a child. I think it's interesting that, you know, you're taught to never use the word in defining the word, you know? But there's like there's no good way to describe play because it's like a purposeless activity, a seemingly purposeless. So to play as a child, dancing and making merry, it's used one time in the New Testament. The word play. And I was pretty excited when we doing study for this sermon to see that, and I was like, oh yes, sweet. But here's 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 what it is. 1 Corinthians 10.7 Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. And God punished them. Like, people died. <laughs> so here we go. Here we go, right? That whole thing about functional authority. It's either we're going to have to be like, play no longer. Cease and desist on play. Or I've got some work to do. What this is referring to is in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses went up to receive the law from God. And while that was going on, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they were down with Aaron, who had become the priest, making a golden calf. You guys remember this story? They're making a golden calf, and then they, they had a feast. 
and then they got up and they played. So here's a question. Is your play an expression of freedom from God or freedom from God? I didn't just have a stroke. I meant to say that. Is your play an expression of pushing God away to do your own thing or is it a gift to be enjoyed with thanksgiving in your heart? In the first way, that's called idolatry. In the second way, it's called giving God the glory. God was not pleased and he punished, but he wasn't condemning play and feasting. God was angry at their idolatry and adultery against him. Play and feasting are part of worship. A lot of times play is used interchangeably in the Bible with the word dance. So, in the first section about recreation, you might include sports. Sports is different than play because there's organization to it and there's like, you know, trying to win and competition, that sort of thing. So if you can think about it like this, think about like the World Series just ends. The World Series is sport, recreation. Play would be right when they win, everyone losing their minds right after. That's play. If we skip down to 1 Corinthians 10.31, so this is right after 1 Corinthians 10.7, Paul makes, Paul makes it clear that play and feasting can be a part of worship. I wish that he would have said the word play, but he didn't. Um, but they're, they're undoubtedly linked in the text. Um, and he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Don't do things to the glory of any, anything or anyone else. Do everything to the glory of God. Can we articulate this? When we're playing, can we give a defense for that? Can we give a reason for the hope that we have when we play? If you're playing with your kid or a friend or family or a stranger, and someone asks, what are you doing and why? Would you be able to talk about it as the glory of God? It's Jesus who made us free. And we get to enjoy this time together because of what he's done for us. Play is about curiosity and exploration. It's about imagination and discovery. It's about vulnerability and the ability to look silly. We as Christians should have a leg up on the world when it comes to play. Why? Why should we be able to be more curious and explore more than the world? Well, because we know that, that our belief system is based upon the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we don't have to be scared about finding or discovering new things because we know that when we discover, we're going to find out more about the creativity and the character and the nature of our good God. We don't have to walk in fear because our belief is based upon the truth, the truth of the Word of God, the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in our lives and our changed lives. So we can be curious and we can explore. The church historically has not done a very good job of this. When there are new ideas or people being curious or asking questions, the church has reacted sometimes out of fear. And that fear exposes unbelief. 
that we don't really believe what we're saying. If somebody asks us a question, and we really know that God is real, we should invite those types of questions. We shouldn't put them down. We should invite them, knowing that God is, is real. Jesus is real, and He loves you very much. So we should have a leg up when it comes to play and the expression being curiosity and exploration. What about imagination and discovery? John the Revelator, he said that, that there are streets in heaven made out of gold, but clear. Anybody ever seen clear gold? Because it doesn't seem to exist. But John is saying, imagine, imagine what this is like. We shouldn't put down imagination and discovery. We as, we as Christians should press into it. I mean, Jesus walked on water. Jesus straight up flew into the sky. We call it the ascension. Like he disappeared out of sight. And there were 500 witnesses of what was going on. So it's not like people, there was this mass hallucination. There was, there's evidence that, that Jesus actually did this. Jesus would do crazy things like spit on the ground and rub mud in someone's eye. What about looking silly or being undignified? Do we have a leg up on this as well? Yes, we do. Why? Because my identity is not based upon how you see me or how you look at me. I know that God loves me. And because of that, I can look as goofy or as silly as more than the rest of the world. And I know that God loves me, and I know that because He's my good Father, that He delights in me. Maybe even the goofiest parts of me. Maybe even the most peculiar things about me. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't play as adults is because it shows how weird we are. And we don't want other people to know that. But what if your weirdness, what if your uniqueness is created explicitly for God for the purpose of His glory, that you would reveal something about the heart and nature of who God is that no one else in the world could do. Then we have a responsibility to be vulnerable and to share that kind of thing, that kind of weirdness. God loves me. He loves all of me. And he loves you, and he loves all of you. Especially the goofy. God took off his own dignity in the parable of the running father. Remember that the prodigal son? When the father got up and he ran towards his son? Totally undignified, totally silly looking to the rest of the world. Jesus came down as a lowly carpenter who washed his disciples' feet and died what looked like a shameful, silly, death of the world. I remember watching the passion of, of the Christ and I was like, this is what, this was God's plan before the foundation of the world? Seems goofy. Paul said it's foolishness to the world. The world is full of serious things. Death, death, and destruction. God defeats the work of the enemy with his kingdom kids. In Malachi 4, God says that, that we will overcome, that we will defeat the enemy like a calf has been let out 
jumping up and down, playing. Satan shouts, there's no reason to play. Look at all this serious stuff, blood, guts, and gore. He taunts us with, there will be no end to war. But just as we heard this morning, the gospel says, oh yes, there will be. There will be an end to that. And yes, there is a reason to play. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims whose citizenship is in heaven. When we play, it's an act of defiance, an act of war, and a signpost of what is to come when the Lord wipes every tear from our eyes. Weapons will be made into gardening tools, and dancing will thunder across the heavens in the presence of our dancing king. All of God's sons and daughters will all play like children there. And becoming like a child is the cost of admission. Remember that? He said, let the kids come to me. And if you don't become like them, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a prerequisite. We've got to become like kids. We have to learn how to play. Jesus Lewis said, joy is the business of heaven. Do you long to dance and play and feast with God? Let's start practicing today. The world will take notice of our joy and they will ask us the reason for the hope that we have. The darker the circumstances, the brighter your joy will seem. Express it with feasting, with play, with laughter. This is a unifying thing, the thing that brings us together. Remember the children of Israel in Exodus 32? They all came together to do that. We can do that in, in the feasting in the right way. Deuteronomy 16, there's a festival called Sukkot. I encourage you to check it out. It's God's feast. It's the way that it's supposed to be. God doesn't say, stop feasting. He said, I have a feast. It's a feast unto the Lord. It's Deuteronomy 16. It's called Sukkot. The brighter our joy will seem. Yes, ma'am. We should play to the glory of God. It's a worshipful thing. Let me give you an example. Eric Little. You remember the movie Chariots of Fire? That was a million dollar man, I think, like brought in there. He was a Scottish runner, and uh, after the heyday of his running career, he moved to China as a missionary. And during World War II, he was interned at a Japanese camp, an internment camp. And while he was in this camp, this is what he did. He taught the Bible, he taught science, and he organized games at an, at an internment camp. An American named Langdon Gilkey was interned at the same camp with Eric Little. And this is what he says about Eric Little. He says, often in an evening, I would see him bend over a chessboard or a model boat, <laughs> or directing some sort of square dance. This is at a, a Japanese internment camp, square dancing. He was absorbed, weary, and interested. He was completely present, pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the imagination of these pinned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life. And with enthusiasm and charm, 
is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I've ever known. Eric Little later died of a brain tumor in the camp. After receiving an opportunity to leave the camp, he gave his ticket out to a pregnant mother. Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, remembered how one persecuted church that he visited told stories and reenacted and laughed about how they had been beaten for the sake of the gospel. This reenacting of traumatic experience, some people call play therapy. Play can be a good thing, especially in dark places. Author Nick Ripkin, who wrote the book Insanity of God, he spoke about processing his trauma experienced over years and years and years of ministry in Somalia, where he saw Christians' numbers dwindle from in the hundreds to down in the single digits, killed for their faith in Jesus. He was finally able to process his grieving by having fun and playing games with a group of college students. And as he was able to do that, he was then able to explore the possibility of re-entering ministry again. This is a healing work that the Lord is doing, and he did it through play and games. And he, he was able to get back and, and to explore the possibilities of getting back to work among the persecuted church, and he's been doing that. Eight workers that I've personally worked with, there's an event twice a year where I go and, and help and walk with brothers and sisters in Christ who have been in really difficult situations around the world. And they've experienced trauma. They've experienced first-hand trauma and they've experienced vicarious trauma or second-hand trauma through other people. And so we all come together in this beautiful place in the wonder of the creation of God in the mountains. And we, we do the serious things. We pray. And we teach and we read the Bible. We talk about trauma. We talk about burnout and compassion fatigue. We worship the Lord. And there's contra dancing, which is kind of like square dancing. And then we'll worship the Lord some more, and we'll pray, and we'll sleep, and then we'll get up and we'll play some board games, and we'll talk about our experiences. And then we'll play uh, telephone dictionary together. And then, yeah, I know that. And then, and then we'll talk about trauma some more, and then we'll talk about the, the physiological side and the biological side of what's going on. More information, and then we'll hike six miles up a hill and look at the beautiful creation that the Lord has made. And then we'll go and swing off this big swing and we'll do a high rope course. Over a course of maybe three or four days, people will begin to trust one another and those, those layers will start coming down and those calluses will start coming, coming down and God's healing can be applied to them. How in the world can we, can we process and, and build trust in a matter of three or four days? I think that play is no small part of that. 
this guy, Stuart Brown, who started the, the National Institute play. He says that play is a language of trust. If you play with someone, they know that you can trust one another. Do you need more trust? Especially when we're divided, we need to press into this. It's something that unifies us. Family play. And when we play together, it builds trust and intimacy. It gives opportunity to heal and points us toward heaven. Laughter. To look at laughter, let's look at what most often causes it. Jokes. Jokes have a setup and then a punchline. The result is laughter. Comedian Michael Jr. says, says this about the, how jokes work. He says a comedian will use any resource or talent that he has to make an audience think in one direction. The punchline occurs when he changes the direction in a way they are not expecting. And when they catch on to that change, that is actually them receiving the punchline. And the results are revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But it is, it is expressed through laughter. So sometimes we laugh as a result of jokes and someone telling us a thing like this. Other times we, we laugh because of like basically the same principles. We're thinking something should happen this way, but something goes this way. The other day I was, I was helping a, I was helping my buddy Kevin. It's okay, that's all it's good. I, I swore him to secrecy, but now I'm gonna carry it. I forgot to uh, put on the other one. I was like, okay, man. So we're all got him all, you know, hooked up in his shirt and everything. He's in his chair. He's ready to go. I'm like, oh, man, I forgot the other And then I, I reach in. I'm trying to put the other like, through his shirt in a kind of a weird way. <laughs> I'm like, man, I hope I, I hope I, you know, got it right in the right spot. And I pull it out, and the lid is still on. And the look on Kevin's face <laughs> when he caught the punchline, you know, things are going this way. It was already like a silly thing that Luke has done. I've forgotten all this stuff. <laughs> His look at me was. <laughs> I laughed really hard. <laughs> oh, man. That's not the way that you apply to it. Okay, all you. All you 13-year-old boys, that's not how you do it. <laughs> but it's basically the same thing, right? You go this way, and then when there's a revelation, it, 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 it evokes this response in us, right? And the Word of God gives us some direction again, some, some boundaries for jokes. Some jokes don't honor God. And I remember when the Lord confronted me about my sense of humor, I was like, oh, no. To give it up. This is one of the things I love so much. Okay. And then the Lord was like, dude, like, I made this stuff. I don't want to take it away from you. I want to redeem it. One of my buddies who, who, got, who came to Jesus, um, you know, later, he didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. So when he came to Jesus, everything was super fresh. And I loved talking to him about Jesus because he was so fiery. 
fired up, you know, and he had no, uh, none of the church baggage. He might even drop some swear words in there, you know what I'm saying? Like, he just came to the Lord. And, and one time I was talking to him about heaven, and this guy, he loves to laugh. He's a really funny guy. He said, you know what I imagine heaven? I imagine heaven, like, I get there, St. Peter opens up the pearly gates, as we said. St. Peter opens up the pearly gates, and I meet Jesus, and he tells me a joke, and I laugh for a thousand years. I don't think he's far off. Like, Jesus is perfect, and he does things perfect in all his ways, right? But there are jokes that don't honor God. Ephesians 5, 4 says, um, forbids what was called coarse joking or obscene jokes. These types of jokes should never come out of our mouths as believers. Inappropriate jokes. Yeah, of things that are obscene. Yeah, you probably know it when you hear it or say it or think it. Jokes at other people's expense can be a ver- can be a verbal way of healthy rough and tumble play. If you didn't have the opportunity to have siblings growing up and and really rough housing on the ground and stuff like that, you can actually supplement that in your life by like jabbing one another with jokes. And it can be a good and healthy thing, but in the wrong circumstances and in the wrong way, it can be a very hurtful thing if you're making jokes at someone else's expense. So use wisdom and discretion when joking with someone. Is your motivation love and expression of intimacy? Will your audience understand your motive? Are you being unkind? If so, repent. Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. At the right time, and if it goes both ways, joking with one another can be a way of saying, I see you and I love you. You may also remember, if you're running through your Rolodex of Scripture about laughing, Ecclesiastes 7.2 tells us that it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of laughter. At first glance, it may look like it's saying that laughter is a bad thing. It's not saying that laughter is a bad thing. It's telling us that mourning is better. It's like if I said, the Saints are a better football team than the Colts. I'm not saying that the Colts are bad. I'm just saying that the Saints are better. Okay, that was meant to, that was meant to be a joke. So yeah, so the intention of even that joke was laughter, right? And levity. And the fact that I can say that with you guys this morning is a sign of intimacy. That I know that you know my heart. And it's a way that brothers and sisters give each other a hard time. By joking around and laughing and not taking ourselves too seriously, we're doing what a family does. This is what families do. And we're a part of the family of God together. A while back, I asked my grandparents, the same grandparents who were here last week, I asked them what the secret of their long marriage was. I'm always interested in this. So if, you, if you've been married for a long time, I would love to hear your secrets as well. But they said to me, they said, laugh often and don't take yourself too seriously. And I see that as a practice in their marriage. They laugh often and they don't take themselves too seriously. They have the ability to laugh at themselves. 
Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Feelings of joy bring health to our heart, mind, and body. And laughing together can be a healing balm to our relationships with others as well. So let's play with another idea when it comes to thinking about jokes. Please be patient with my curiosity and exploration in this idea. There might be something good. And if it's not good, then just discard it. Remember Michael Wiener's breakdown of a joke. A comedian will use any resource or talent that he has to make an audience think in one direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way they are not expecting, and when they catch on to that change. That is actually dimly seeding the punchline, and the results are revelation, fulfillment, and joy. But is expressed through laughter. What if, what if the gospel is the greatest joke? And Christians are the ones who get it. And when we get this joke, the result is repentance, belief, and life with God forever. Instead of God tricking us, though, it's not God leading us to think one way. It's actually our sin and the fall of humanity that led us thinking in one way. It's a fall that put us on a trajectory of thinking that was wrong. We thought that the king would be born in a palace. The king of kings was born in a manger. We thought to be great, we would gain power and sustain dominance over people. Jesus was the greatest servant. And maybe the best demonstration is the cross. Think about what the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders said when they mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross. This is what they said. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. They meant it as a joke at Jesus' expense. He saved others, but he couldn't save himself. Really, the joke was on them because it was truer than they knew. They said the punchline, but they didn't get the joke. To save others, Jesus couldn't save himself. He died to give life. If Jesus was not punished for your sin and my sin, he couldn't save us. So he saved others, but he couldn't save himself. We thought one way, and God came with a radical punchline. When we get this joke, the results of repentance, belief, and life with God forever. The joke was lost on the religious people. I pray that it's not lost on us today. They even said the punchline and still didn't get the joke. You guys ever play this game called Mad Gab? Anybody? You know, like a whoop whoop or something? All right. Hey, okay. That's one thing I love about you guys is that your willingness to play. And that's one of the things that, that makes Broadway a healing community. We don't take ourselves too seriously. I love that about you guys. So there's a game called Mad Gab. And it's a tradition at, uh, at my, my in-law's house, at Emily's parents' house. Every Christmas Eve, we get together and we, we play games together. I think it's a great tradition. And my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law are here this morning. Yay! Yay! Yeah. 
One of my favorite stories ever with these human beings has to be several years ago. <clears throat> we were playing this game together, and um, we were playing with my father-in-law, who has passed away. Now, we were playing, and uh, we were playing Maggab, and uh, this is this is the the thing that came up. And so the way that the game works is these these words, and you say these words, and and they, they don't really make sense together. But you're, you're trying to get to a phrase that actually does make make sense. So, able ink gun. Anybody able to get it? Able <laughs> Lincoln, That's right. That's right. I remember Mr. Matt. He was saying, and it's so funny, you know, because you. Every one of us who's played this game, you get so into the words that it actually becomes a distraction. You know what I mean? So you're like, Able Ink Gun. 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 You know, and like, everyone in the room knew what it was, except him, because he was distracted by the words. And if you've played this game, you have done this too. I've done this too. Where I'm reading the words and it's so obvious to everybody else, and you look silly, right? That's part of, like, playing Let's try another one. Anybody get it? Shout it out if you got it. All to Jesus, I surrender. <laughs> I love I love the sound of epiphany. It goes like this. Ah. When I was going to give the definition of laughter, you know, because I gave the definition of, of recreation and play, I was going to, you know, the definition of laughter is, <laughs> that was it. All, all to Jesus, I surrender. See, some of us have been saying this punchline for years. And we still haven't got it yet. It hasn't gone down into our hearts. It's just something we say. It's just meaningless sounds babbling out of our mouths. I pray that you get it today. This past week I had the privilege of going down to Kentucky and hanging out with some dudes and sleeping in tents. That was awesome. And one night we got to go and look out underneath the stars. I got to look up at the stars. And I remember one of us, I don't remember who it was, spotted a satellite. And I think it was me. I, I think I said, it's weird. If I try to look at it, I can't see it. If I look right at it. But if I'm not looking right at it, then I can see it. Out of the corner of my eye. And John Costle said, rods and cones. If you're smart, you know what he's saying. If you're like me, you're like, thanks, buddy, I appreciate you. I have no idea. Rods and cones, it's the way that our eyes work. The center of our vision is the cones. It's good for determining color. But there are a lot more rods, and those are in the uh, peripheral vision. And those are used to determine depth. And to, and to see light. 
There's great value in preaching and listening to sermons. There's great value in intentional verse-by-verse Bible study. And if we genuinely love the Lord and others, and if we don't compartmentalize our lives, the Word of God will come out in everything that we do. Even the recreation and play and what we laugh about. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6 says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, may His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We live in a dark world. And in our culture, as soon as we start talking about Jesus head on, a lot of people will shut down. So I would argue not only can play and recreation and laughter in the lives of believers be a good thing, I would say that as far as it goes with evangelism and discipleship, sometimes it can even be a bigger thing. Because sometimes when you're living in a dark place, when we're living where, where all around us is dark as the night sky, it's better to see the light in our periphery. Do you follow me? Let he who has ears, let him hear. We need to look at the, at the Word of God right. We need to look right at it and study. And we need to look Jesus right in his face. And we need to invite people into the peripheral things of our lives, like play, recreation, and laughter, so that they can see Jesus at the center of our lives. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that you've set before us. We thank you for your word. In Psalm 16, it says, There is joy in your presence, and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. Lord, help us in our seeking, not to seek after happiness. Help us to pursue you, Lord. And let the fruit of your Spirit be manifest in our life, the joy and freedom and play and enjoying the creation and laughing together. And Lord, let, let that be healing to us, we ask you. Lord, let that be healing to our minds and our bodies and our spirit and our hearts and our emotions. Let us appreciate the good things that you've given to us with gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts. Lord, I know that as a father, I want to see my kids play. I want to see them enjoy. And I know that you long for that as well for your children. And there will be a day when we get to experience that work completely. And Lord, we, we ask for a taste of that kingdom come today, that we would manifest it in this world, that our play and that our joy would be so obvious to the world around us who, who's plagued with darkness and depression. Let your good and truer story, your truth, be manifest in our lives, Lord. Let it be done in proper proportion. Lord, let us be good stewards of these good gifts that you've given to us. 
if you're here this morning and you you receive the greatest joke of all, if you recognize this morning that your sin has blinded you, and you recognize that Jesus is who He said He is, that Jesus came to bring forgiveness and make it possible for you this morning, no matter what you've done, if you've been saying the words, if you've been saying the punchline for a long time, but still haven't gotten it down deep in your heart, I want to invite you to come forward and let, let the elders pray over you and lead you to our good friend Jesus.